Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Come on, who's excited for church? For those of you that are new that we haven't met, my name is Ali, and welcome to those online. We are starting a brand new collection of talks in 2022 called Give Your Year to God. And the heart behind this collection of talks is really, I want to make this the best year of your life. I want to make this the year that we're, we're, we're everything that you dreamed of, everything that you, God has placed in your heart, God's going to fulfill in a prophetic way. And what, are, what, are we, what are we doing for the next five weeks is that we're actually going through the book of Genesis. You should have got, got one of these books on the way in. And normally when we go through a book of the Bible, we go through chapter 1, then chapter 2, we go in order. This year we're going to jump around. Not like crisscross, but we're just going to jump around from different chapters. And there are things that God has placed on my heart that I believe God wants to speak to us as a faith community. And today, if you have your Bible journal, it's free 99. Uh, go to, with me to Genesis chapter 22. Starting in verse 14, I just got to let you know that I'm going to be reading a lot of verses this morning, and, and the reality is that the Bible is a way better preacher than I am. There are days that I got good sermons, there I got bad sermons, but anytime I read a lot of verses, you're going to leave this place blessed, better than you came in, amen? Starting in verse 1, if you see on the screen, someone say amen. amen. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out from the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I go with the boy over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide a, a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. When he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, the, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, which means Jehovah Rapha. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. I want to speak to you today around this subject for the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes. God is greater than your dreams. God is greater than your dreams. Let me say it another way. God's dreams for you are better than, than your dreams for you. And before we begin, let's just pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you are doing in this faith community. God, we come in one way, but we want to leave another. God, we didn't come for information. We didn't come just to do a Bible study. God, we came to encounter you, God. Would you speak to us tonight, Jesus? 
Would you speak to our hearts, God? We want to start this year off fresh. We want to start this year off right. We want to put you first in our lives, God. But sometimes, God, we place things above you in our heart. We put our dreams, we, we put our aspirations, we put our goals in front of you, God. God, speak to us tonight that we're called to follow you above all else. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. I got, I'm a girl dad. I'm going to show you my two daughters here on the screen. Uh, the one on the left is Zoe. We call her Chug Chug. The one on the right is Sophia. She's our miracle baby. That's, that's how we describe her, the, our miracle baby. That's the only word I can use because this girl has a life full of miracles. And uh, five years ago when my wife was nine months pregnant, we were actually at church and her water broke. And I'm like, are you sure it broke? You didn't just like pass gas. Are you sure? Being the doctor, I, I was trying to, uh, you know, give a resolution to the problem. And we, we go home that evening and my wife's like, we need to go to the doctors. And so we call the doctors like, can we come to the hospital tonight? And I'm sure we end up spending the night in the hospital. And for the next 36 hours, we were in labor. She was in labor. I was there holding her hand, but we were there together, right? And if you know me, if you know anything about me, I do not like using public restrooms. So that meant I was holding it for 36 hours. And after 36, I couldn't hold it anymore. I'm like, babe, I got to go use the restroom. I'll be, I'll be right back. I spent the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes scouring this hospital looking for the cleanest, most unused bathroom because I think bathrooms are disgusting, when I come back, everyone is crying. I'm like, guys, it was only 15 minutes. Why are you weeping? Why are you, why are you here, Allie? Your wife is gone. I'm like, where's, where's yes? She's like, the baby had the umbilical cord around her neck. The baby's heart rate dropped from 140 to 40. If it stays there for more than five minutes, the baby's going to have permanent brain damage and may die. Run to the ER. So I run to the ER. The room has maybe three or four doctors, four or five nurses. Everyone is running around, and they literally pull up a chair next to the, the hospital bed. I'm literally holding my wife's hand, sitting down, and we're both crying. And all we can do is call on the name of the Lord. Thankful enough, that day I was actually wearing my Fitbit. I want to show you the stress level of my Fitbit. If you notice, I have 100, 100 beats per minute heart rate, and the last... See that orange? My heart was being at 154 beats a minute. That's what happens when you run. And yet I was sitting down, not on a Peloton, by the way, on a chair. And my heart rate was pounding because I didn't know if my daughter, who hadn't been even been born yet, was going to die. The next, it didn't even last 30 seconds. It was 10 minutes. Go, go back, go back, go back. Don't go there yet. Don't go back. No, no, no. Right there. For 10 minutes, they were telling me, pray, because if your heart rate of your daughter doesn't go back up. We have to cut your wife open. We have to bring her out. Long story short, the baby was born healthy. The next morning, the doctor comes in. He goes, I've been a doctor here at this hospital for 25 years. I'm not a man of faith, but your daughter's alive because of a miracle. And we, from that day on, we call our little Sophia our miracle baby. The, the painful part was that's not the only miracle in her life. Uh, you got to fast forward 16 months later, and one day my daughter falls over on her arm, and maybe we thought maybe she broke it, maybe she sprained it. All week long, she's nursing her arm, not playing with it. We're like, we got to go to the doctor. we got to figure out what's going on with our daughter. We go to the doctor. They take an x-ray. He comes in. We, say, we have good news, and we have bad news. I'm like, give me the bad news first. The bad news is, I mean, the good news is your daughter's hand is not broken. I'm like, thank God. 
That's the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is your daughter has a tumor on her hand. Imagine the shock that comes over my wife and I. We, we almost lost our daughter when she was born, and now it feels like there's some tumor growing on her hand. God, are you going to take her again? And imagine the, the context in which this was spoken. This was Friday, July 14th. Sunday, July 16th was the very first day we were going to have our public gathering as a church. Is our preview service. Imagine we had doubt the size of a mountain, but faith the size of a mustard seed, and we get this news. The doctor says we have to do immediate surgery. He scheduled it for the Tuesday of next week. Imagine we have this preview service, but get this cloud over our head. We go to the doctor's office, and they, they cut off a little piece of the tumor, and this is a picture of her in the hospital. That day, they even gave her little monkey a cast to match her. She's 16 months old here. The next three months we're absolute hell because we're waiting on the results. We don't know if this is cancer. We don't know if this is some disease. We don't know what this is. And every doctor in America is looking at this. There's doctors at Harvard, Stanford, UCLA, at Kaiser. There is not one doctor in America that knows what's wrong with our daughter. It, it went on for so long that the doctor said, we cannot wait anymore. We have to have surgery. So imagine on September 24th, we have our grand opening as a church. 215 people come, four salvations, some powerful move of God. And two days later, we're in a hospital. And they're taking x-rays again. And we're scheduling surgery. And again, the doctor comes in, and I got good news, and I got bad news. I go, last time you started with the good news, start with the bad news this time. He goes, the bad news is we don't know what it's on your daughter's hand. I'm like, if that's the bad news, what, what's the good news? The good news is it's gone. I said, time out. There's not one doctor that knows what's on her hand. No. And whatever that thing was, it's now gone? Yes. How do you explain this? He's like, we don't have a medical explanation for this. I'm like, why can't you just use the word miracle? He goes, we don't use that term in medicine. We, we don't have a medical explanation. It's a miracle, bro. That's what it was. That girl is a miracle baby. Amen? And then for those of you that are maybe new to our church, this story is super encouraging. If you've been coming for several years now, you've heard the story every single year. And I'm going to say this story for the next 30, so get ready. I'm going to keep repeating it. Why? Because the Bible tells us to do that. It says in Revelation 13 that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And a testimony is not something you do on the day you're baptized, the day you receive Christ. No, it's something that you repeat again and again and again. You should be very good at giving your testimony of how God saved you. Because there will be moments in life, listen, that you have an obstacle, you have a challenge, that you cannot overcome it on your strength, your intelligence, or your money. But by what Jesus did. And when you remember and you retell and you reshare the faithfulness of God in your life. Our God is a faithful God, Amen. But you got to go back. I know that this is a picture of my daughter when, when she was 16 months old, but you got to go back to when I was 24, when I was living like a pagan. I was world-class at it, too. And I was in a Muslim home and did not walk with God. And the moment I accepted Christ, everything in my life changed. I wanted to have a family for the first time. Never had a desire until I recognized that there's a God in heaven and he loves us like a heavenly father. And he wants a relationship with us. And so I wanted to be a father, to love my children the way that God had loved me. But I, I got saved at 24. Listen, I didn't get married till 32. Do you know how many times I prayed, God, when am I ever going to get married? 
you know how many times I had to lay on the altar of God that desire to be married? God, if I never get married, I still have you. And Jesus, you're more than enough. And then even after I got married, there were many months where my wife and I, we, we, we had so much debt we had to get out of. We had so many plans we, we had to fulfill. We didn't have kids until we were 36. Think how many times we had to lay our children that we so longed and desired. God, if we never have kids, even though we want them, we laid them on the altar of God and said, God, you know what's best for us. And that's why when I say it, I went through hell it, even before she was born. Listen, when I was in the hospital, I'm not making light of what was going on here, but there were days where my wife claimed I didn't care. She's like, you're not crying for our daughters. You don't care as much as I do. I'm like, honey, I do. I just have a peace that surpasses understanding because I already gave her up once. It's easy to do a second time. And the question I want all of you to write down is this. Are you in love with God? Are you in love with what he can give you? Are you in love with him or his gifts? Do you seek his hands or do you seek his face? Do you want him or what he can give you? Do you want a relationship or do you want a vending machine? I can tell you that God should and must be supreme, number one in your life. And I learned more about the character and the, the who he is as a person more in a hospital room than in five years in seminary. God doesn't want you to just go through pain. He wants you to grow through it. That when you realize that God is in control and he's good, pain now has a purpose. Pain is showing me something about God that I didn't know before. Now I have a deeper, more intimate relationship with God than I ever would have if I only went through comfort. And this is so important as we start off 2022 because I want this year to be the best year of your life. But there's a problem. There's a, there's a philosophy of our day. There's an adage, as you would say, and many people in our culture say it. I've even heard it in this church, and it kind of bothers me. It's this idea, just follow your dreams. <laughs> just, just follow your heart. You know, it's a Disney movie now. Just follow your dreams. Can I be real? That's not in the Bible. That comes from a Nike ad. And it's scary when Christians build their life on a Nike commercial instead of the word of God. The call is never to follow your dreams. The call is to follow Jesus. And as a follower of Christ, we're called to follow him no matter where he leads us, to the mountaintops or to the valleys, into the pit or into the storm or even into the fire. You and I are called to follow him. And sometimes you can be in the perfect will of God and he will lead you to be crucified. He does not promise health and wealth. He says, follow me, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Stop following your dreams. Follow Jesus. And what's scary is sometimes we, we trust our heart more than God. Anyone have a high school crush? Can we be honest this morning? Everyone, hand should be up, or you're a eunuch. Come on. God, any, any liars in the house of God? Okay, okay, finally a few hands went up. Everyone has a crush. I remember having this massive crush. I'm sorry, babe, when I was 18. I'm like, oh my gosh. I, 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 this is the girl. I just, I just know it. Oh my God, I just know it. I can't even right now. I, I just know it. Then I saw her 10 years later, and I thank God he didn't say no. Isn't it funny? That 10 years ago, my heart was so sure that was the one. 
And all I had to do was wait, and I realized it was not. Jeremiah speaks to this problem that every person in this room has. Jeremiah 17, verse says, says this, The heart is deceitful. You know what deceit means? It means it leads you the wrong path. It leads you down the wrong way. And it's not your friends are deceitful. It's not Instagram is deceitful. It's not saying celebrity. It's saying your own heart is deceitful. Above all things and beyond care, who can understand it? It is a scary thought to listen to yourself. You know what's even scarier? When you listen to your friends giving you advice and they're not even Christian. Their heart hasn't even been transformed. And so often we, we want to trust our feelings. You, all your feelings are not from God. Let me just be very clear. And one of the worst things, listen, that God can do is give you the desires of your heart. So there's a theology in the Bible that many Christians don't like talking about. It's called the wrath of God. I ain't afraid to talk about it. We got to talk about it. The wrath of God is actually a good thing. God gets angry at sin. Why? Because sin is killing us. In the same way, if someone was hurting my daughter, I'd want to stop that person. If I didn't love my daughter, my anger would not rise up for me to protect her. God's wrath rises up because he wants to protect his kids. But so often we're afraid of the active wrath of God. Talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. We've rained down fire from hell on Sodom and Gomorrah, but... But what's more dangerous than the active wrath of God is the passive wrath of God. And 99.99999, I'm a math nerd, put a squiggly line on top. God's wrath is passive. Imagine I go to my daughter and I'm like, honey, honey, don't put your hand in the outlet. Because I'm a dad, I love her, I want her to listen to me, but I'm not going to force it. In the same way, your Father in heaven loves you enough not to argue with you. He will not force obedience. And what he will do is say, you, this is not good for you. And he will just pull back and let you live with the consequences. One of the worst things that can ever happen to you is for you to get the desires of your heart. Paul says this in Romans chapter one. Read it with me, starting at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, a lot of people claim to be wise today, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal human beings and birds, animals and reptiles. Therefore God, listen to this, therefore God gave them over. God gave them the desires of their heart. In, in the sinful natures of the desires to sexual immorality, to the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. There is no one saying amen right now. I know. It's a tough message, but we need it. Because the goal is not to follow your dreams. The goal is to follow Jesus. And so often we want to follow our heart. We want to follow our emotions. We just want to follow our dreams. And your dreams, your heart will lie to you. You know how many times I want something and God does not want that for me? You know what the greatest mark of maturity is? You look at something and say, God, I want this. I want this more than anything. But if you don't want this for me, then I'm willing to walk away because you know better than I do. Because I, can I tell you what I want? I want to be right. Like every time. I've never gone into an argument or a debate like, oh my gosh, I'm having a great day. Let me lose this argument. Never. I want to be, especially when I'm talking to my wife, I want to be right. I, I don't even play games unless I'm going to win. I want to win. 
I remember one time my first year of marriage, my wife was like, you're so competitive. Can we just play and have fun? Fun? If we're not keeping score, we're not having fun. I want to win. I want to be liked. So I took a shower and combed my hair because I don't want to walk on this stage and be like, oh my gosh, who's this ugly guy? I, I struggle with, I want to be liked. Maybe you don't struggle with that. I do. I want to win. I want to be in control. I want to be liked. These are things that I want. I want to honk my horn when you cut me off. I want to yell at you, some of you. There are a lot of things that I want. God wants none of those things for me. God wants me to be humble. He wants me to deny my flesh and live by the Spirit. He wants me to serve my wife even when I feel she doesn't deserve it. God wants me to love my enemies. Bro, I don't even have time to forgive my wife. Now i got to forgive these other people. Come on. God wants me to do the right thing, even when it's unpopular, even when it costs me something. God, his will for me is sometimes very different than what my heart wants. Don't follow your dreams. Follow Jesus. And I love this story of Abraham because it's a perfect case study of what it looks like to sacrifice the most important thing in your life. Because we're studying this topic of don't follow your dreams, follow Jesus. And Abraham is the case study tonight. If you don't know who Abraham is, he's the father of faith, which means he's the forerunner. He's the first. He is the father of three world religions, Islam, Christianity, and, and Judaism. All three claim he is the founder of their faith. Why? Because what this man did is remarkable. Abraham is 75 years old, doesn't go to church. He's a pagan, and God comes to him. Just think about that. God comes to a non-believer, a non-Christian, says, I want to start a new faith with you. Some of you disqualify yourselves before you even start religion. Think, I don't go to church. I'm not the, the religious type. You're the perfect type because you're made of the image of God. God wants a relationship with you. So many times we disqualify ourselves because we go, oh, I'm too young or maybe I'm too old or I'm not tall enough. I'm not the right gender. God uses a 75-year-old man. That means as long as you're breathing, God still wants to use you. And God comes to this man who's 75 years old and gives him this massive, this immaculate, powerful promise. You, Abraham, will be the father of many, as many stars as you see in the sky. That's how numerous your descendants will be. But there's one big problem. Before Abraham's the father of many nations, homie can't even have one kid. And this is how God works. He gives you a promise, and it's always followed by a problem. And I wrote it down like this. Wherever a promise is placed, there's a problem to face. If I would ask anyone in this room, do you want a miracle? Every hand would go up. I say, then you must have a problem. And no one wants problems. Everyone wants miracles. No one wants problems. Why? The prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. That means if you don't have a problem, you are not a candidate for a miracle. Miracles should not discourage you. Miracles should encourage you that my God is so big, he's the one that can handle this. God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham's like, well, where do you want me to go? And this is a picture of faith. Abraham does not go by sight. God doesn't give him a map showing him the next five years. He says, just go. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And when Abraham takes one step, then God begins to show. And then he takes another step, and then God shows him more. And this is how God operates. And we fast forward. Abraham and Sarah, they have this dream. They wait a week. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine 75-year-olds having sex? That's not, that's not biblical. That's just nasty, okay? They wait a week. Then they wait a month. Then they wait a year. Then a year becomes five. 
then five becomes a decade. It's 15 years now. Abraham is 90 years old. He still does not have the promise. And one of the ways that we learn in the story of Abraham and Sarah that Abraham stops following Jesus and he starts following the dream, he begins to manufacture his own dream. One day, Sarah, who's 80 at the time, says, Abraham, I want you to have sex with my, my maid, Hagar. Now just imagine for a moment Abraham's position. He's like, wait, honey, I'm 90. Yes, I know that. You want me, this godly man, to sleep with an 18-year-old? Yes, whatever the Lord wants. I'm okay with that. Whatever the Lord wants. I wrote down like this. Whenever you follow the dream, not Jesus, whenever you follow the dream, you will settle for counterfeits. You will set up for what, what is not God's will for you because you want pleasure, you want joy, you want satisfaction right now, and you won't wait. So what happens is because you love that thing more than God, you will set up for the counterfeit. Ishmael is a real son. He really was born. He is Abraham's son, but he's not the son of promise. And this is where you and I have to wrestle with our hearts with God. What has God promised us that we want right now and we're not willing to wait for? God promised you unconditional love. You don't need lust. God promised you purpose. You don't need paper, prosperity to give you that. God promised you joy. Why are you getting it from CBD gummies and liquid courage? God promised you purpose. Why are you chasing worldly accolades? God promised you security. Why are you going to a 401k when God promises to be your provider? So often, we want the things that God promises, but we're not willing to wait, and we produce a counterfeit. But there's a cost. The, the collateral, sometimes you don't realize when you follow your dream over Jesus, there's a price to be paid. Ishmael and Hagar, they're kicked out of the family. Ishmael and Hagar go form the nation of Islam. Abraham has a son. He goes on to form the nation of Israel, and Thousands of years later, these two countries still hate each other. But they're brothers. There's a cost to following your dream versus Jesus. And then God shows up when Abraham is 99 years old. He goes, Abraham, you got 99 problems, but a God ain't one. All the people who know culture. Next year this time, you're going to have a son. And Sarah, he, she's making like tortas in the back, you know, tacos. She's like, a son? Come on. I had menopause 20 years ago. Hot flashes are long gone. You want me to have, you want me to change my son's diapers? What am I going to do? Turn around and change Abraham's diapers because he's going to be 100? Are you crazy? And she laughs at the promise of God. And I wrote down like this, God's plan for your life is always laughable. The haters will laugh. The doubters will laugh. Your family will laugh. What God wants to do in your life. Who would have ever thought a former Muslim who is divorced, who never finished seminary, could start a church that saw 227 people receive Christ? Please don't look at this room and be like, oh my gosh, what? No, 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 no. You give me a Sunday morning option, we're gonna go zero to 100 real quick. Come on, that's how it works. God did a miracle in this church, and it's laughable to think that he could have done that through me. That's what he wants to do through you. The world should look at your life and be like, that's crazy. God's never going to do that. That's how big and miraculous our God is, that he's the only one. He's the only one that can do the thing that's unthinkable. You don't have to say amen. I'll say amen. That's a good word, Pastor Ali. Come on. And Abraham, at 100 years old, imagine the party this guy would have thrown. For 75 years, he couldn't have a kid. Then God comes to him at 75 and says, you're going to have a kid. And he has to wait until he's 100. 
and he's finally holding the promise. Imagine the party. Imagine the joy. And then God shows up and is like, I want you to kill him. Wait, what? That's what happens in Genesis chapter 22. It's mind-boggling. It doesn't even make sense in the natural. God, you need to understand, is being tested. Abraham is being tested by God. For those of you that are on the faith journey, that are following Jesus and not your dreams, I need to warn you. A faith that isn't tested is a faith that can't be trusted. God needs and must test you because you are not yet proven to be trustworthy. See, the moment you accept Christ, your, your eternity is secured. God gives you a plan, a purpose. He gives you his Holy Spirit. So you have a, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You have a calling. But the question is, can he trust you? Can he give you accolades and accomplishments to do for him? Because God knows his plans for you, but do you trust him enough? And the only way you pass the test is by proving yourself trustworthy. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Alec? You gotta trust Jesus and then do what he says. And I should have warned you, some of you, the average Christian spent two hours pre-COVID on social media. Post-COVID, it's four. What I'm asking for the next 21 days, starting on January 9th, is just give God 15 minutes and watch what God will do in your life. Just watch what he does. 15 minutes and and God will say again and again, he'll tell you things that I'm telling you your heart will not agree with. He's saying, keep your pants on when you're dating someone. But God, it's so much more fun when we're naked. I know, but trust me. God will say, give me 10% of your income. But God, it doesn't make sense. How is 90% and you better than 100% without you? It doesn't make sense. God will tell you to forgive your enemies. I don't know about you, any husbands in the room. I have trouble forgiving my wife. Come on. Now you want me to forgive this random person who hurt me? Come on. God will often listen to me, ask you to do things that don't make sense. And when you look at this story on the surface, it looks, listen to me, it looks like cosmic child abuse. What do you mean? You're gonna make this old man wait 25 years for a kid and then you're gonna kill, what kind of God is that? And the theologian Soren Kierengaard he said this, many times faith is illogical. It's a quote that's on the paper and on the screen, sorry. It's illogical. On the surface, this sounds like, this looks like child abuse, but there's a deeper story. There's something bigger that God's, God's telling a story within the story. See, in that culture, it was not uncommon for people to sacrifice their child to God. In that culture, God is actually coming against the culture of Abraham. In that culture, it was promigenture which meant the firstborn was the favored one. The firstborn got all the inheritance. The firstborn was the one that was loved, adored. He got all the power. He got all the wealth, and all everyone else was second fiddle. And God, in the book of Exodus, flips the script. It says, the firstborn belongs to me. The firstborn of every animal born, you must sacrifice for me. The firstborn of every child you must dedicate, not kill it, but dedicate it to me. And you have to dedicate it through an offering or by serving or by a sacrifice. And the reason why God would do that was because he was atoning for the sin of the family through the firstborn. It's a story within a story. Romans says that the wage of sin is death. That the sin, the, the disobedience towards God, the rebellion against one another, the selfishness that we have, there's a payment for that. That it requires death. And the way that God would handle our sin 
was that the firstborn would take care of the sin. And on, on the surface, it looks like, God, what are you doing? You, you, are you a cosmic child abuser? Should we call social services on a spiritual being? But it's not. There's a deeper story that, that God one day, Jesus, our firstborn brother, he would lay down his life for us. But there's a deeper story. And the question that I need to show you is this. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry. Will you sacrifice your Isaac for God? It's supposed to be a slide. Forgive me if it's not. See, everyone in this room, there's a dream that you have, a longing, a goal, an aspiration. It's the thing that God placed on your heart, and it's the most important thing in your life. And when God gives you that desire, listen to me, he will ask for it back. That thing for me was, was being married. And then it was having a kid. And the most important thing after that was having a church. And every time on that faith journey, I had to take that thing that I loved, that thing that I wanted so desperately, and I had to put it on the altar and say, God, you're more important to me than that thing. God, I love you, and I love that thing, but I love you more. And if I couldn't lay my Isaac on the altar, it revealed I love that thing more than God. My question for you is, what takes the, what's priority in your heart? See, so often it's not that we love these things, our Isaacs, too much. It's that we love God too little. That's the problem. What's priority in your heart? What's number one? See, often these things that we love, the things that we want, the dreams, the aspirations, they're not bad things. They're good things. The problem is we make good things God things. Anytime you love something more than God, the Bible calls that an idol. And our hearts are idol factories. There are constant seasons of life where I have to evaluate, what do I love more than you, God? What do I place above you? What, what do I want, long for, dream of, sacrifice, give my time and energy more? For some of you, it's your body. For some of you, it's a career. For some of you, it's to be married. For some of you, it's your children. For some of you, it's wealth. For some of you, it's fame. For some of you, it's Instagram clout. What's that thing that's the most important thing in your life? And often the way you know it, you have an idol, is that when you have it, it feels like heaven. And when you don't, it feels like hell. And the real question that you need to evaluate is, is what do you love more than God? Some of us in this room, we need, if we want to have this be the best year of our life, stop following your dreams, follow Jesus. Because your, your spouse is good, but your spouse is not God. Your kids are good, but they're not God. Your career is good, but they're not God. Your body is good, but it's not God. Your Instagram clout is good, but it's not God. Stop following your dreams and follow Jesus. And I brought this wheel to be an analogy. This wheel is, is your life. And these spokes, every one of them represent this is my career, these are my kids, this is my calling, this is my, my retirement, all good things. But at the center of the wheel, the hub is God. And anytime, listen, that I take one of these spokes and make it the center, the wheel breaks. Listen, I love my daughter, Sophia. I loved her before I even met her. 
I didn't know if I'd ever have a daughter. I had to lay her on the altar and say, God, if you never allow me to be married and have a kid, I have you, and that's more than enough. And when I was in that hospital room, listen, I had to give her up again because my daughter makes a terrible God. And you have to have the same evaluation. What did you walk in this room loving more? Stop following your dreams. Follow Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian and pastor, says this, when a person becomes alienated from Christian community in which he has been placed and begins to raise complaints about it, I get the worship team to come up. He had better examine himself first to see whether the trouble is not due to his wish dream. Someone say wish dream. That he should be shattered by God. That, 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 that thought has been haunting me all week. What did you walk in here? And it's your wish dream. The thing that you want more than anything in life. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a certain salary. Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's a body. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a, ch- a child. That wish dream will hold you back from your relationship with God. I wrote it down this way. I write this question down. What, if taken away from you, would cause a great crisis of identity? That when you have it, it feels like heaven. And when you don't, it feels like hell. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I, I want to start over with you. I want to create a family of faith that husbands will love their wives and raise their children to know me. I want godly families, and I want you. Abraham's like, I'm 75. I don't even have kids. I was like, I'm the miracle working God. Abraham says, wait 25 years. Imagine there's probably never been in human history a father that loved his son more than Abraham. He waited 100 years until he met him. And God shows up one day. He says, Abraham, before we continue this promise, before we fulfill the, the calling on your life, before you are father of many ages, I need to make sure that you are a trustworthy person. I need to know I can trust you. I need you to get up and sacrifice Isaac on the altar for me. In the Bible, we read it together. Abraham wakes up early the next morning. And the first thing he does is he begins to pack gathers his servants and his son and they travel for three days to Mount Moriah. Imagine the turmoil in this man for three days. I waited 25 years, God, and now you're going to take it? And when they reach the mountain, his servants are like, where are you going? And Abraham makes a faith declaration. We're going to the mountain to worship and we are going to come back. He doesn't say, I'm coming back. By faith, he believes that him and Isaac are coming back. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that God had so much faith, Abraham had so much faith in God that he believed that if he killed Isaac, God would resurrect him. He didn't know how, but he believed it would happen. And there's a second faith declaration that Abraham makes. These two, father and son, are hiking up the mountain. Isaac is holding the wood, the knife and the rope, saying, God, Abraham, I see we have the wood, we have the rope and the knife, but where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham makes another faith declaration. God will provide the sacrifice. Not knowing how or where. Then they arrive to the mountain. And Abraham begins to build this wood altar. Then he lays his son on it. I read this last week. That Abraham, when he took his son Isaac, Isaac was not like an eight-year-old boy. This dude's like 20. 
This is a grown man allowing his father to tie him up. Isaac pulls out the knife, and as soon as he has it up, an angel says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Now I know that I can trust you. Now I know you're trustworthy. Now I know you love me more than Isaac. In the thicket was a ram whose horns are caught. Sacrifice the ram. Because when you trust God, when it doesn't make sense, he always provides. I read this quote this last week that I thought was amazing. This one man prayed, God, why are you leading me through troubled waters? And then I heard the Lord speak back, because your enemies don't know how to swim. Sometimes God will ask you to do things that don't make sense. The problem that most of us have is that we want to trust our heart. We want to trust our dreams. We want to trust our emotions more than God. God sees around the corner. God knows what you need. God knows what you, what, what you need to have in your life. Don't trust your heart. Trust Jesus. God provides a ram when there was no evidence that the ram would be there. And it wrote down like this. Exchange your dream for God's plan. The plan you have for a wife is awesome. For children, awesome. For that six-pack, awesome. For that multi-million dollar business, awesome. It's amazing. God wants those things for you. Lay it on the altar. Say, God, even if I never get that, I have you. Give him your dream, and he'll give you his, his plan. What's so beautiful about this story is that Abraham thinks he's the main He's going to this mountain, saying, God, why would God do this to me? You know, Abraham spent three days going to the mountain. You know who spent three days in the belly of the, the earth? Jesus. The mountain that Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac was Mount Moriah. 3,000 years later, that hill is called Calvary, where Jesus died. Isaac carried the wood up the mountain, just like Jesus carried the wood on his back. Abraham, as a sign of love, laid his son on the altar. God the Father, as a sign of love for you, laid his son Jesus on the altar. The only difference was that there was a substitute for Isaac. There was no substitute for Jesus. Jesus willingly, lovingly, willfully laid his life down for you. He died so that you could he gave up his dream so that you could have one. You know what the dream of Jesus was? You know, it says Romans chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I remember my whole life before Christ, I was a beggar for love. Now I'm a millionaire. I have something better than dreams. I have Jesus. And even when I suffer, even when I'm in the valley, even when I'm in the pit, I don't have a God who promises me health and wealth. I have a God who promises me he will never leave me or forsake me. Don't follow your dreams. Follow Jesus, the one who is willing to die for you. 
Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church. 